0: We now return to Beyond Sin. six of beyond synth my name is andy last today on the program is sunglasses kid aka edward gamper and we had a fun talk and for anybody who uh gets a little tired of all of my constant uh, interjections will enjoy this episode as edward really was the one steering the conversation so he he actually out talked me and i basically just sat back and uh, ate my lunch
1: you paid 85 dollars for those sunglasses throw them away they could actually be damaging your eyes Introducing AmberVision, the most amazing breakthrough in vision technology since glasses were invented. They're amazing! Please specify glasses or clip-ons.
0: I am here today with Sunglasses Kid, a.k.a. Edward Gamper. How do you, I, Do you, does it sound awful if I say it Gamper?
2: You no, know, that's, that's right, it, yeah. It's Swiss. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I say Gamper. It's like Stamper, but Gamper. <laughs> 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 we're off to an amazing start let's just talk
0: about your name for an hour
2: what my real name or, or sunglasses kid
0: well see that's a thing too because sunglasses kid the other day i was uh messing around with uh an old uh or not an old but a a vst plugin
2: that was emulating a uh a korg m1 <laughs> and sunglasses kid was... you're you are absolutely on the money that's exactly what it is excellent adam mcnab from the Cassette also pulled me up on that. He said, you've taken that from a preset off the, uh, <laughs> an, an unnamed VST. And mm. I said, you're, I said, you're right. Just before I was about to kind of put out a song that I thought might get some interest, I thought I must give myself a name because I was just going under the name Edward. Mm-hmm. It's not really catchy. Doesn't it doesn't evoke anything. So I thought I would better think of a name. And I literally spent like an hour trying to think of a call. Cool, I was like, I want to be a cool name, like Kavinsky or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I couldn't think of anything and everything I thought of, like, I was trying to come up with, like, you know, Disc Drive, Neon, Nightman or any, you know, all these stupid kind of names. I couldn't. And if they were any good, they were taken. <laughs> and if they were shit, they were shit. At the end, I was just like, I started scrolling through presets. I was in the middle of writing a piece of music as well. And I was like, <sighs> sunglasses, kid, that will do for now. And I'll change it at some point if I ever get anyone listening. Because literally no one was listening to my music. Right. And then a few weeks later, I got a website uh, called portals.com, who apparently is like a reasonably known American musician website, arbitrarily came on my SoundCloud page, listened to a bunch of my music that I'd just done, gave me a review. And the, the name kind of stuck, and I thought, oh shit! Well, now I've got like kind of reviews and things that I don't want to don't wanna have to do a bit of a don't wanna have to re, do a rebrand or anything. So mm. I was like, well, I'm stuck with this fucking name, which I don't really like because it's like <laughs> long. Trying to create a logo, you're like, oh, I've just got this three syllable fucking sunglasses word and kiddie It's but it, and I thought it sounded cheesy and silly, but I. I don't know. I don't know whether anyone thinks it's rubbish as well. But um it's okay. I know it's rubbish. It's it sucks. But what I do like about it is it's not like really, really eighties, right? So if I ever decided to make a different genre of music, I feel I like could do it under the same moniker. Mm-hmm. You know, if you call yourself something quintessentially 80s. I can't think of something quintessentially 80s. It's the
0: trickiest I mean. thing to do without uh, trying to upset anybody because whenever I sit there and I try and come up with a parody name...
2: Someone's probably got that name.
0: Exactly. I'm trying to help along your example by going, like, yeah, like yeah. if your name was...
2: You know, I call myself n- n- My, Miami Neon Flashbulb. Yeah. Someone's probably done it. So <laughs> you're, you're lucky you too. I, I can see
0: you, you, your brain is ticking away going, if I throw in the word flashbulb, then I know yeah. I'm safe.
2: <laughs> is there someone called Miami Flash out there? A hundred percent sure. If they're not, actually Miami Flash is quite a good name. I'm having that. Copyright. Yeah. Copyright. <laughs> 2013 copyright. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I do, I do worry about my age a bit more, more than ever now with music. Cause I always worry about like the kind of, am I projecting an image of being younger than I actually am? Or am I, do people think I'm? I remember, um, I met Adam McNabb who's the lead singer of Le Cassette. We met up in London and he said to me, I, he said, I was talking to somebody else in Le Cassette, another guy in the, in the band. And he said, um, they were like, what if he actually is a kid? What if he's like <laughs> 17 or 17?
0: I mean, I've talked about this with other people before in the scene. I mean, I think that there are, there are just certain tropes in regards to the words or, you know, there's the Miami aspect of the scene, there's the Blade Runner yep. aspect of the scene.
2: I'm bringing the Corey Haim aspect of the scene. But though I, d- I think it's difficult because there's we're talking about this scene in inverted commas. Yeah. <laughs> there's like this thing we're calling synthwave. And I'm sure you've had this discussion a lot about what that is, mm-hmm. which I think has, I still think it's got a defined sound to it. Yes. But that's only kind of one element of the 80s. And for me, I am interested more in trying to kind of get back to the 80s pop sound. And and there's loads of different styles of 80s 80s pop. I like the kind of soul and artists like luther van dross and alexander o'neill and people like that but i know i also love the kind of 80s rock sound and i'm a massive fan of, of films like the breakfast club and lost boys and stuff like that so i love mm. that kind of rocky sound that's definitely the the, the, the place i'll be exploring next is that kind of more that that rock you'll have to
0: get someone to be the muscular guy who plays the saxophone with his shirt oh on.
2: yeah oh man yeah he is called tim um tim capello He's called Tim Capello, and I actually investigated what he was doing right now because I was like, is that guy really – Tim Capello is a fucking legend. He was a saxophone player for Tina Turner, and he's played on um, (laughs) loads of, like, the famous Tina Turner tracks in the 80s. So he's like the session saxophonist on One of the Living from um, Mad Max, and We Don't Need Another Hero – and um, private dancer, which is also uh, obviously has nothing to do with Mad Max, but it's a Tina Turner track. Yeah. yeah so yeah. if you look at like Tina Turner in concert and concert stuff, Tim Capello, the muscly guy from the sax from from the saxophone player from the Lost Boys, yeah. is on stage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not a music reviewer, so I don't have any uh, flowery language behind, you know, my opinions. But I really feel like when I listen to your stuff, it's got like a positive vibe. It's like kind of like feel good stuff. And it really evokes, for lack of a better word, nostalgia. But in a way that it just reminds me of the idea of nostalgia. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Yeah, no. I think
2: that's it. I think everybody in the scene, and even if you were born in 81 you don't really remember the 80s mm-hmm. and like the 80s that we all are maybe trying to re- evoke with the music is like an is like a, a a movie version of the 80s it's like a film and and pop version of the 80s it's it's through that kind of lens right not right not the lens of reality a lot of people in england certainly were having a terrible time in the 80s it was like under the conservative government Mm -hmm. and it was a very tough time for people in in England but then I suppose so in that sense like the 80s pop in the UK was like also providing a sort of sense of escapism Mm -hmm. and there was financial difficulty for a lot of people and out of that kind of came really great art and I think that that's historically been proven to be the case of like kind of great art coming out of um, tough times so i think that it's it's interesting that we've got like a global recession going on right now and out of that is coming this sort of amazing scene that's about kind of looking back to the good old days that didn't really actually exist at all Mm -hmm. they're all kind of in our mind they're kind of in like i said like in in a movie
0: i actually truly do believe as far as like uh the stuff that i watched when i was a kid like kids cartoons and stuff yeah i think the ones in the 80s actually are better like it's not even an opinion it's
2: like fact it's
0: a fact transformers (laughs) real ghostbusters you see the shit from the 90s and like the early 2000s when, I mean, I'm, I'm fully aware that Transformers was a cartoon built around the idea of selling toys to kids. That's fine. But sure. what they did was they actually told a narrative, even though they're really silly, within that context, like it was a show. Whereas later on, you got these shows like Digimon and these bullshit cartoons. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Where the yeah. kids
0: in the cartoon are literally children who go to school and play yeah. with... The fucking Digimon.
2: (laughs) The the merchandise actually featured in the cartoon.
0: Exactly, and it's that's fucking (laughs) baloney. Like, I mean, I I would I've never said baloney before. You probably have the most tracks I've heard with vocals. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that process. I'm just curious as to what the give and take is. With an artist, I mean, do you do you actually go in and say, here's the here's the vocal line, like you actually play a tune and say, here's how I want you to sing, here's the lyrics? No. Or do you allow them to just
2: say karaoke or freeform on your song, see what you like? What I do is I write the song, I write a piece of music, I try to structure it like a song for a start. I think that's where I hear some other producers, they want a vocal on it, but the song itself doesn't necessarily, it's more like an instrumental. It doesn't have those kind of, moments that a vocalist is looking out for like so just the simple kind of verse chorus verse chorus structure or bridge or middle eight or whatever um so i definitely compose it intending it to have vocals and sometimes i never get the vocal and the track sounds like a backing song more than it sounds like a piece of instrumental music right? and it's nearly always because I kind of hoped there was going to be a vocal and it never materialised or I never got around to coercing someone into giving me one. As far as like the process of working with a vocalist I think it's important to give them creative input let them do their thing otherwise you're turning them into something else it's not featuring whoever it's becoming you're just a uh, a gun for hire I'm using you like a session musician and so I don't want to treat somebody like hey will you do this thing for me for free where i tell you exactly what to sing exactly how and hear the words and everything because i just think like so that's like a session musician say so, you know i give things to people and they come back with not what i expected i'm like how could you have not heard that the melody i was playing there was was i was trying to give you a massive steer on the chorus right like this is what i wanted the chorus to sound like but that can be advantageous in that they come back with a melody i hadn't thought of and that's where collaboration you you don't want somebody to do actually what is in your head you want them to do what you can't think of otherwise and why am i collaborating with them if the person coming back to me gives me something that i could have done mm-hmm. i think well that that was uh, damn i could have done that i want someone to come back with something i never thought to do right so what about uh
0: lyrics then
2: yeah, I think sometimes I've I've titled songs. Actually, funnily enough, I don't know if you've heard that one of the songs on my EP, which I can tell you because um, it will be hopefully out by the time this is aired. I hope it is.
0: This thing, this thing won't air until 2014.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got ages then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the song I did called "Come Back to Me" with with the boy and sister Alma. That I titled "Tech Noir" as a working title because there's a bit in the verses that goes, ba ba ba. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah, and not intentionally. I ripped <laughs> off Terminator. It's like shit. That's the Terminator theme. I hope there's some kind of different lyric melody going on that will kind of cover up the fact that I'm blatantly ripping off the score to Terminator. Yeah, they took quite a while to get back to me because, but they were they were they're very professional and they were also on tour, so they had other things to be getting on with than just my track. Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking, oh my god, I hope they haven't taken techno. As like a steer for what the lyrics should be like. Are they going to come back with that something that's like, fucking... I'm in the Terminator nightclub. Arnold <laughs> yeah. Schwarzenegger's trying to get me. He's got like, a Uzi. Really ho- <laughs> so I was really hoping that they wouldn't do that. And they came back with lyrics that I had given them no steer on and there's a guitar solo in there as well which i actually played the exact guitar solo is what note for note what i played on a on a virtual guitar and lenny who's a member of who's the guy in the boy and sister alma he said oh hey do you want by the way do you want me to uh, do the guitar solo for real and i was like uh, yeah if you can play it cool and he just nailed it note for note So that was a really that was a really interesting like example of collaboration where I thought my virtual guitar solo sounded pretty real, but then when I heard like a real one, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what a real guitar sounds like yeah, yeah <laughs> that, is, that is way better than whatever I've done mm-hmm. but well, yeah with vocalists, I try not to get perfectionist, and I think what I try to do is I try to tell myself before I ask the vocalists, how much do I trust this vocalist? Do I know what they're kind of gonna do and i've I've collaborated like three times now with with a singer called Leon Monroe who he's an American R&B artist and he actually initially approached me and asked me to do a remix of his song Mm -hmm. I said all right well do you want to do vocals on this instrumental that I've just done as a kind of tit for tat thing and he came back to me like 24 hours later with the most polished vocal did that in 14 hours I, I nailed that tune in like seven hours in the in one e- afternoon it's a great song and he came back seven hours later with a vocal on it and i was like holy shit this guy works fast that it was that was amazing thank you and uh <laughs> and so and he doesn't always do what i expect and me and me and him actually have had we've we have these to and fro so i'm like i think the vocals should come down a couple of a bit and he's like no i think i like them how they are yeah. and he does i let him do the processing like <laughs> He likes the delay, he like adds the delay and things on like that. And I think one definite note I would give for anyone who's thinking about collaborating with a vocalist is check they can actually do a good recording because the rest is fucking by the by. Obviously, they've got to be able to sing, number one. But number two, if they can't deliver like a, a good quality recording, you're going to spend the next six hours trying to do like corrective surgery to a vocal. One of the tips I always got told about vocals is you walk walk next door into like another room, like walk into the kitchen or walk into the bathroom and listen with the doors all closed. And And does it sound good through the walls? And if it does, you've probably got the levels right. You've probably got the, um, <laughs> the mix right or it sounds good. Uh, that's always the mark of a, like a good live band. They sound good when you're standing outside on the street listening to them through the walls. I've made all kinds of music in, in the past and I've had my fill of trying to make that kind of serious, moody uh, stuff, whether it's electronica or actually what I tried to kind of pursue as a career, which was film composing. So writing that kind of like large orchestral, moody music and The synthwave sound done by the, what I consider to be like the synthwave artists, like Perturbator and people like that. They're doing it so well and it's so atmospheric and it's so similar to film music. I think if this scene has a relationship with anything, it's film score. Right. Definitely some of these producers in this scene will end up working in film. I'm sure of that. Mm -hmm. I just felt I wanted to kind of get away from that because... I kind of was giving too much of myself to that and I was taking it so seriously and I was getting so stressed out by the rules of of writing in classical and kind of being self-taught as well. You're kind of aware that you're not doing things right. You can hear it doesn't sound right, but you can't work out what needs to be fixed to get it to sound like whoever you're trying to ape or whatever mm-hmm. and and interestingly i suppose film scoring in that sense has got another relationship in that all of us are trying to evoke some sort of mood right the, this this scene is is really close it's really about ev- evoking like an emotion isn't it it's getting an emotional uh response out of people whether it's an, and and in this case it's like nostalgia
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that is something that i've that that is part of my kind of just history, musical history, is being around people who impromptu play instruments. I don't know if if you've ever grown up around that, but I was very lucky to have friends who could play the pia- who could play instruments. Who could play the piano? Who played drums? And that was definitely where I think I cut my teeth as as learning to play um, the piano. I mean, I can't play the piano to like a really really high standard, but um, I definitely I I got introduced to jazz um, when I was. 12 or 13 and i'd started learning the drums and and a boyfriend of my sister's at the time was a percussionist for an orchestra and he would teach me um casually when he was around visiting her he'd give me an hour lesson and he introduced me to um herbie hancock miles davis and and that sort of um era of, of music but it was particularly herbie hancock he gave me the chameleon herbie hancock and the headhunters on tape on cassette okay and was teaching me funk drumming. But I also knew people who could play the blues on piano and 12-bar blues, and you'd go to house parties and you'd all get together and you'd improvise. Somebody would just... You know, if there's a piano in the house, somebody would just jump on it and start going... And learning to improvise was definitely, for me, like a big part of learning to play... And learning your craft and learning it kind of on the fly rather than doing it in a kind of formal setting, mm-hmm. which ironically I think I don't know whether Highway Superstar mentioned this to you, but we have a similar background in that both our mothers are are classically trained um, pianists, and my and my mum was a piano teacher. So I must have like inadvertently absorbed, you know, some of this. You can't help but not yeah hear. Debussy coming through the floors every night um...
0: (laughs) when I was young I mean I I took piano lessons but I I hated it Mm. and it was one of those things that my parents said you know like oh you take piano lessons or whatever and uh, I never liked the idea of playing other people's stuff as a kid I just I hated it I know I needed to do it's you know it's the
2: equivalent of I I I did a lot of drawing as well it's like the equivalent of coloring in Mm -hmm. yes it is it's very skillful to stay in the lines and
0: all I ever wanted to do was my piano teacher had a fucking keyboard like an awesome yeah. keyboard for that time yeah. i to be honest with you i don't remember the make uh but it was you know it had probably cassia it had, a, it had some cool sample it was an expensive one like it was like a proper
2: oh right it was a real keyboard
0: and uh, i always wanted to play it and that was like my reward if i did my <laughs> homework you know like if i yeah. actually practiced but i never could because i hated it so much yeah so i never got to play that fucking keyboard like <laughs> i think i maybe I'm, i played it once. And I remember going like, "This is so awesome" because I just loved like the the samples and stuff. But I could never yeah. get over that learning to play. Now I find it a bit more interesting, but more as like a like a party trick. Like I'm trying to I'm 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 learning to play a Axel F, so I'm yeah. uh, I'm going in and I <laughs> just just so whenever there's a fucking keyboard around at someone's house, I'll be like whip it out. You and can be just
2: like, whip that bad boy out because that's always fun. I was very lucky in that my when my mum. Um, in the 90s she she wanted to uh, get a synthesizer and she bought a Korg M1 when they were quite new Mm -hmm. so I had a Korg M1 in the house which I did I did tinker on and I like the sounds and everything, but they I don't know if anyone listening has ever tried to like do anything with a Korg M one, but they're quite they're not that it's the interface isn't particularly user friendly. But um she got a second keyboard also by Korg called, called the Korg X three, which had a sixteen track sequencer on it. And that I could understand. You were recording along to a click track. It was very much like recording into a computer except you had to get it right first time you mm. or like you know it's like recording to tape if you if you fucked it up you had to restart the whole thing and do it all again until you did yeah and that i definitely sort of cut my teeth in learning how to like write drums and also as a drummer right the piano is a percussion instrument you're hitting it so that came very naturally to me and i think that's also why like any of the music i'm making has always got that kind of f- or why the funk the funky sound kind of always appeals to me because it's a funk is kind of a percussive sound and you've got intonations and off beats and syncopations and things that when it's that rigid four four doesn't give you present you as with as many opportunities to kind of explore that that side of things so right 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 It's like when I'm doing something, fun- when I'm writing a funky track, like, I always have kind of like words start to come out to me, mm-hmm. um, like they start to just, I just start to kind of get them beamed down to me from the, the some kind of radio transmission from the 80s or something, yeah. <laughs> but I get this kind of like, this sort of, you start scatting and like, words like girl, mm-hmm. always coming like, Don't you see my girl, at the <laughs> you see this? I'd like to take you back girl and there's something in your eyes (laughs) take it to my house be be like you just get those like things and then sometimes like a kind of cool hook Mm -hmm. might like emerge out of that but then they you never get to hear it because the vocalist doesn't know what's going on and i don't like to say can you just sing girl i see it in your eyes When I went to film school as well, I actually did 16mm film, filmmaking, so we were actually making with real film, like the film you put in a Hollywood camera, yeah. and we were, edit- we were editing like that too, so we were, cu- we were cutting real film, and that gives you that kind of mindset and that understanding of the craft of everything, it makes you think a lot more about what you're doing. Um, and I all brought I suppose I brought that sensibility with me to when I finally started making music on computers because I only started making computer music whilst I was at film school which was, was eons ago now it was in 2001 or something like that but when I hear people who, who are like very pro hardware people who were making music with hardware before they got the software i understand where they're coming from because it's too easy now to to make a flippant decision like oh i'll just stick on this i'll stick on that i've got a thousand fucking plugins i've got a million um things at my disposal you don't think like you're you're not thinking about what you're doing as much
0: but the flip side of that is it actually creates another sort of problem because i went to film school as well cool but the difference with me was I always resented any step that I felt was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So I never had the full appreciation of physically cutting film because in my head I was always like there's got to be a better way. Like there ha- like so w- sure. when it, when it came to nonlinear editing and when we finally got the, we got to use like the Final Cut yeah. and, and Avid as well. You know there's that feeling get sometimes when you see something for the first time but you just know yes this is the way it should be
2: i have that moment with with computer music and going this is just so much easier to do something so precise and when you look at how many plugins you got running in a session you're thinking if this was like the 80s this would be physical equipment mm-hmm. i'd have like 16 compressors my this room would be full of equipment and yet it's all running on this on this computer but the thing the thing i i did get from like editing real film was that if you wanted to put in a dissolve or a cro- you know a crossfade or a fade to black white with real film you had to call the laboratory and you had to pay to mm-hmm. put in a crossfade so you didn't make that decision lightly you know exactly so you you'd actually go do we really need a crossfade what is the purpose of a crossfade what is it actually <laughs> for and when you've got like I can just make it go slow-mo, I can throw in some fancy colours. And I know filmmakers who are like that, and they're thinking about what it's going to look like. They're thinking about, yeah, I've got this amazing effect, I'm going to put all over it. They're thinking about that, and they should be thinking about the fucking plot. You know, sometimes, you and I, I'm guilty of this as well, you find yourself spending more time worrying about the fine points when you haven't actually sorted out the bigger issues, like does the song is the song good that's the more important thing to worry about first and foremost like it doesn't matter how well it's mastered if it's if it's compositionally boring in that respect the argument
0: about the appreciation for how things you know were like when it was all physical Mm. in a world now where a lot of it's digital you do run into a different problem and at the end of the day it's talent It's people who actually think about their projects that come through because you say, oh, you know, you've got this whole, you've got a thousand plugins at your disposal. But the bottom line is you still end up with roadblocks if you don't have a plan. If you don't know what you're going to do, you're still going to run into these issues regardless of the way that you're making it.
2: Which is why I think in a way that I've heard people say somebody, you know... Someone always sounds the same. You know, they put out the same music. It sounds similar, and I, I would hope people would notice that a lot of my stuff sounds the same. In that I'm reach for the same sounds a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm always, I nine, nine times out of ten, I reach for the same bass or so I reach for the same piano. But that's because I've spent four hours looking for another piano, and there isn't one that does a job as well as the one that I always use. Right. You build up a kind of series of tricks and a series of kind of go-to things. You just, I know that's the reverb that gets the job done. I know that's the piano that gets the job done. And that ends up becoming like your signature sound. Oh, he always uses that piano or he always uses that. If, if you know, you've got someone listening, who's that discerning about what they're listening to. And where I, where I try to vary up is what I'm doing musically or, or compositionally. But
0: The same thing goes for in the visual medium. Like if we, if we talk movies or something, like directors have the same things. I mean, you develop a yeah. palette of sort of go-tos or shortcuts. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if anyone would see that as a negative, if you look for it in other artists' work, you'll see... Oh yeah, he always he always uses the same paints. Or even if it's like the same brand, yeah. you don't know. Like that could be, hey, this brand of paint is what... Yeah. He knows how to mix it. it. It makes him quicker. Like directors who use the same sort of symbolism in their films. I think that's,
2: that's what's, what I love about some of the kind of, you know, 80s superstars like Phil Collins is that he's his voice for a start is absolutely immediately recognisable. But also, um, I think actually I was reading about um, the effect. The effect, you know, on the drums that Mm -hmm. Collins has which is where it kind of that's called gated reverb right and I think that it was um I can't remember whether I read that Peter Gabriel pioneered it but anyway it was a Genesis thing first and then it became a Phil Collins thing I loved that era where suddenly like those kind of production techniques were beginning to become a signature or an almost an instrument in their own right or a sound in their own right and um you know some of those kind of electronic sounds have become so iconic Mm -hmm. Uh, they've become like timeless sounds like the guitar and like one of those like the 808 cowbell you know the bing 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 and I try and use that in my in my music a lot because I just love it any sound that i play on the keyboard you pull up a preset or you pull up a sample or sound or whatever and it immediately evokes like the era you immediately like oh that sounds so much like the goonies yeah (laughs) that sounds so much like uh whitney houston or something like that and you're just like oh i'm i'm halfway there
0: your new uh the new EP is uh, really good. Thank you. And I've I've listened to it a bunch, and it is really awesome. I know you've done uh, a couple collaborations with Dana Jean before. Yeah. I hadn't heard of the Boy and Sister Alma before. They're really new. That track is great. I mean, the whole the whole Thank thing you. is good. I mean, I again, like when I say I don't have the poetry behind, like literally, I no no that's no, fine. It's I'm fine. that dude who's just like, oh, I liked it. I liked it.
2: But I but I really did like it. But I think I think that that track with the Boy and Sister Alma is like the one that I thought has the most commercial appeal. Ironically, it's kind of least kind of in my style that I I most commonly write in. But then when you listen when you look at my my SoundCloud page and listen to my my tunes, you can see that I'm like experimenting all the time. I think I'm trying more to pitch myself as a producer for vocalists that are out there rather than Necessarily trying to kind of create my own persona.
0: Definitely, like the music you're laying down is perfect for it. When I'm going through and like listening to your uh, to your tracks, there's like five or six like really really good pop songs. What's neat is with the uh, the variation of the vocal artists that you've that you've worked with, that they all sort of do bring like a different energy to it. Yeah. And I find like the Leon Monroe stuff kind of makes the stuff sound a little bit newer. Yeah. Like there's just something about his vocals; they sound new. Like they're not necessarily like
2: retro vocals. Yeah, he brings like a kind of contemporary edge, I guess.
0: But uh, definitely, uh, the the choruses he sings and the notes that he holds, they just, they're very catchy and they they stay in my head. I find Dana Jean, I find her to be the Mm. most kind of nostalgic sounding.
2: She's got a very particular voice. She's got a kind of teen kind of voice, which she appealed to me because I think when I was sort of starting to try and write in this scene, I had much more of a kind of, I was trying to capture that kind of 80s high school sound which I, I do want to keep going back to because i listen back and i kind of i'm eternally just sort of going which is the thing i like doing the most and i think i'm just a butterfly for like genres mm-hmm. i like i don't like to keep doing the same thing well um, i
0: picture uh, with uh, your track a dear diary when i hear that song i picture like, this is if i'm using my imagination to create a scene mm-hmm. if i took this song what would i do with it and what i would do with it i would have a girl. <laughs> Uh, Going into high school, narrating, (laughs) talking about her first day of school and how it's going to be really exciting because it's her first day of high school and she's going to meet new friends or whatever, you know, like one of those sorts of things. (laughs) Because as that that song plays, that's literally I'm seeing like, you know, like the girl's on her bed. She's imagining how great school is going to be. And then it cuts to that shot where you see this really cheesy... A group group of 80s kids and there's like the punks and there's all the different kind of like that.
2: It's funny you say that because I, I was thinking about whether I would say this and I thought, how can I say this without sounding really, it sounds really dodgy right? Mm-hmm. But I was thinking when I'm making songs I'm always trying to think of who, who would be listening to this and I was sort of thought is this the kind of thing like a teenage girl might listen to in her bedroom? Mm-hmm. Would she like that or could I imagine that? Yeah, um, I'm sure a teenage girl is not listening to 80s nostalgia music yeah. But <laughs> um- <laughs> mad world of of random people out there who connect with you through all these different ways and i've I've often had people just send me things like another th- person I'm collaborating with called um jagan whose real name is zafia he just messaged me saying hey i like your song i've done some vocals for it and i was like what (laughs) and it was fucking brilliant it was it was a a track i did called neon nights and he made this quite repetitive thing i'd done into this really interesting evolving tune
0: well it's interesting too when you say about you know different people and what they sort of interpret because i had this conversation with jake freeman or protector 101 Yeah, yeah yeah saying that you know when i listen to a track although i do allow my imagination to do a lot of the lifting, especially when I'm listening to more cinematic sounding stuff. Yeah. I do still allow the track name to be like the basis of where I'm going with it. Yeah. And so that's why it's funny when you mentioned that thing about the boy and sister duo with the the tech noir thing, because I definitely dear diary starts with the idea of a diary. So I immediately it's a girl uh, she's on her bed, you know, she's either, she's just and finished the And I think that's entry. why
2: it comes back to it being very like film music because a lot of guys kind of, they're giving their songs these kind of conceptual titles that they're hoping will evoke what is going on in their mind. And I think that's why, again, vocals is appealing because you don't have to kind of try and give people this giant steer as to what you should be thinking of. Like, I'm calling it Miami Lover. I'm uploading a picture of Don Johnson. I'm <laughs> the I- I hope you get the fucking idea that this is going to be about, about fucking being in Miami, right? Yeah. Which is what I actually did. Mm. That was like my most popular song to date. It's also because I pulled out the saxophone, which I, I was like, that song nearly didn't have a saxophone in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, I'm, it's flowing, it's flowing, it's sounding. I, I'm really liking this kind of like vibe I've got going on. And then I was just like, could it be could it just be a moment to bring out the sex? Yeah. could I bring out the big guns <laughs> everyone loves a bit of sex, <laughs> but then you know you, you give the song to like to Leon Monroe and he's got his own interpretation of what Miami Lover means and actually giving it to someone who isn't obsessed with the 80s he gives it different completely different spin he's not like thinking Don Johnson Miami
0: Rendezvous Berlin. Is that a sample from something or is that just
2: That that is my girlfriend. Okay. That is my girlfriend, Laura. I talk a lot to Highway Superstar online and we were talking about Synthwave and I was saying I oh, you know I reckon I could write a synthwave track. I reckon I could I was almost like kind of challenging myself to sort of write a pastiche of a synthwave track and do it as fast as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yeah, you know, it's easy, it's just like an arpeggiating synth and a load of bass and shit. And I said, I, I'll have one done in six hours for you and I'll, I'll send you it back. And I obviously quickly discovered it's not as easy as I thought. But um, I, got, I started getting into the groove with this with this particular song and kind of created this big sound. And then I sort of, I always have in the past at least laboured over trying to kind of evoke some kind of mood and giving people a steer with the title of a song and all kind of atmosphere and, and being a filmmaker as well. You're kind of a bit of sound design at the start and things like that. And I just said to um my my girlfriend Laura, she was sitting on the sofa, and I've got my little Zoom recorder there and I was like uh, right I need you to say this and it's going to be like an answer machine and she's like oh, do I have to yeah. do I have to um, oh, I feel really rough I've got a cold at the moment I was like no just say this and, I, and actually she helped me come up with the name but we are kind of like I had this idea of I wanted it to be like a kind of I was thinking of the movie Frantic which again it's like I just do really obvious upload a picture of Harrison Ford yeah, from yeah. the film Frantic Hi <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, it's me I need to talk to you Indian Club Berlin I need to see you
2: that it's not a sample Is it is my girlfriend although in a sense I suppose that is a sample technically I sampled her voice yes, but, yeah, um, yeah I, I wrote to that and got her to speak it
0: a lot of times uh, when, I, when I'll hear like uh, kind of synthwave tracks and uh, there will be a sample and I always feel stupid if I don't know the reference and so with this yeah. one I'm like meet me at Club Berlin I'm like what the fuck is that from and I'm going around <laughs> I'm doing a fucking search I was like meet me at Club Berlin I'm doing it into Google and all it comes up with is your you right <laughs>
2: Ah, brilliant! But the the one I've writ the one that's my most recent track uh, as we speak that I've got on there is called "Pretty Girl," which I had sort of, um, pretty and pink sort of in my mind. But actually, what I was thinking was, I just kept getting these lyrics going,
1: "Pretty girl," and I could just sort of
2: hear that that kind of um, that kind of vocal coming out. Um, and I'm gutted I never um found anyone to sing on that <laughs> uh, and i've got another one that's the only instrumental that hasn't got a collaboration on the ep which i don't know if there was um, a little extract going around adam mcnab singing on that oh that was fucking adam hilarious M- N- mcnab can bring the fucking funk yeah he's got a really good he actually can sing sing in that kind of soul voice and he was sort of taking the piss because i think he was a bit nervous about actually he he would i don't think he want, wants to sing in that sort of style mm-hmm. but yeah that is the voice that i'm after really i'm always after that That's i laughed my ass off I at want. that
0: that was before i was uh <laughs> i was i knew adam so i didn't i didn't say too yeah. much about it like i saw it i'm like okay this is fucking funny but i didn't
2: uh i love we should yeah. say for anyone who doesn't know what the hell we're talking about that adam McNa- adam mcnab just took took a song a serious song that i'd written and did some kind of um, stupid kind of impression of um, Michael McDonald over yeah. it, which I thought I actually took really seriously and thought was brilliant. And I was gutted that he was singing kind of stupid lyrics and and didn't finish it. But um, <laughs> I would love I'd love him to do that seriously. It, whether they think we're all taking the piss, whether they think we're joking around. But I try not to take it too seriously. But I mean, I'm not doing this. This isn't a comedy project, it's not a pastiche project. And if you see the difference, like I'm having fun, but like I'm not hoping this is going to elicit a laugh. I don't want people to be rolling around. I mean, it's not the Lonely Island, if you see the difference. So.
0: Honestly, I think there's value in both. I see what you're saying, and I too take the music seriously, like because I do legitimately mm. enjoy it. But I never
2: hold it against mm. anybody if they chose to be funny. Oh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. If you want to write pastiche music, yeah, there's definitely a place for that.
0: Even if you're singing in sort of like a jokey way, yeah. at the end of the day, if the music's good, to put it back, I mean, like, I don't think anyone's going to listen to your tracks and think anything other than this is just some fucking good music.
2: It's interesting there that my mum didn't teach me to play piano, but she's a, she's a classically trained pianist, so from time to time I phone her up. And I'm having to have these conversations where she doesn't. I can't talk the same language, so I'm going, oh, I'm doing this, and I'm having this problem with this chord sequence, or I'm or I'm talking about something like that. She gave me a great piece of advice. She said, um, it was when I was sort of with film score. She said you can afford to be much more dramatic, and more cliched than than you think. And if you go bigger and more dramatic, the kind of that cheesy kind of big. Uh, those bigger sounds they actually don't come out as bad as you think and actually sometimes it's like you're afraid and it's the same with acting it's like you can afford to be a much bigger on the stage than you think you're being um and like i remember that when i was drumming in bands and i thought i was giving it large you know moving physically and then i looked back at videos of me and i'm very very rigid, and that's kind of my style of being very sort of still and minimal movement. But I thought I would—I look like Keith Moon, right? And you've got to be so much bigger and so much more dramatic, and so you can kind of take it to almost a place of pastiche. And you think, you know, it's like I said to Adam. You know, he said, "I'm going to take the piss. I'm going to do this Michael McDonald impression," and he does this pastiche of Michael McDonald. But actually, it sounded really good, and it sounded if he'd been saying serious words it would have been brilliant.
0: There's this nostalgia towards this scene with people in our age group, but we're also sort of a cynical and ironic age group. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of sort of irony. So it's funny because when I think about, say, classic movie moments that are just held up as like, here's a classic moment. Like think about Blade Runner, right? Now the end sequence with Blade Runner has... Spoiler alert.
2: <laughs> you know, Tear, Tears in rain. Right.
0: Rudger Hauer yeah. is fucking telling a speech about tears in rain as it's raining, then dies, then lets a fucking bird into the air. Okay. Yeah. That is the cheesiest thing you could ever write down. <laughs> yet, and it's yet, amazing. And the best
2: thing. Rudger Hauer improvised that line, didn't he? I think what it is, is that we even, I think everyone, I hope everyone, is kind of innately consents if there's a sort of honesty lying behind what what someone's doing and you can hear music or see a performance or something and you're you can tell it's not coming from a place of honesty it's like no you are just ripping someone off or no you are just having a laugh but say say taking like blade runner maybe it's because Rutger Hauer like improvised that line that it carries a sort of authenticity because it was off the off the cuff and mm-hmm. he hadn't thought about a million ways he was going to deliver it beforehand and that's why you know I come back to improvising and how I when you hear anything in my music there will almost always be an improvised piece somewhere in there that was a, a one-off moment you know i always feel when i've written a piece of music that i got lucky and every time i approach the next piece of music i never think i'm going to be able to write another piece of music again right i'm like literally how the fuck did i do that <laughs> oh, I, got, I got lucky there well man we have actually been talking for a really long time i know oh my god it's, it's just we've chatted i've, I've chatted shit you've I've out chatted you. Oh, Andy.
0: no, excellent. Honestly, it'll. this is great. Yeah, but it, it was good talking. We need like an official sounding goodbye yeah. sample where you, you know. Okay. But so. Uh, was that it? What was that? What, you, oh, you, there, was a, there was a ding. Oh, sorry. I, th- I threw a pen at my glass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is that the official yeah, goodbye is, No, hold
0: on. This is the official. Uh, now, fuck off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, man, Edward, it was great talking to you. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I hope you can fashion something out of this. I
0: will fucking fashion the best thing you've ever heard in your life.
2: Well, you have been—you've been working with gold, here yeah. tonight,
0: <laughs> frankly. Alrighty, that was Edward Gamper, aka Sunglasses Kid. He's got a new EP coming out, or it's out right now, depending on when this episode drops. It's called Unpredictable. Uh, we played a few songs from it during the episode. It's really good, and I suggest you check it out. You can uh, always check out all the artist links on the episodes page. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you uh, tune in to the next one.